The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. The Jews started arguing with one another. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they said. Jesus replied, I tell you most solemnly, if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life in you. Anyone who does eat my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life, and I shall raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me, and I live in him. As I, who am sent by the living Father, myself draw life from the Father, so whoever eats me will draw life from me. This is the bread come down from heaven, not like the bread of our ancestors. They are dead. But anyone who eats this bread will live forever. He taught this doctrine in Capernaum in the synagogue. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. There's two things in today's readings that strike me as really profoundly beautiful. They sort of surprised me a lot. They pertain to prayer and to evangelization. So our conversation with God and then our conversation with the world, uh, preaching the good news to the ends of the earth. What's the first thing? Well, I was struck by that little episode with Ananias. Just imagine Ananias for a second. He's a faithful follower of Jesus. Uh, we can assume he has a very vibrant, dynamic prayer life, a great intimacy with the Lord. Meanwhile, we know the conversion story of Paul. Paul is on his way to kill the church, kind of like what happened to uh, St. Peter Chanel. Paul is on the way to, to arrest and torture and happily do away with them if he can, stamp it out. Because as far as he's concerned, they're a com complete adulteration of the Jewish uh, way of life that he loves, that he's given himself to, that he knows thoroughly um, and, and has measured himself by. You know, he's, he, he measures up to the law in a, in a tremendous way with his zeal. Paul's going there. He's struck uh, blind. And then he has to wait for Ananias. But, but focus on Ananias for a second. Ananias receives this call from God which is a vocation in the literal sense. God calls to him, Ananias, here I am, Lord. Typical vocational response, here I am, Lord. God says, you must go to Saul, who I'm making Paul, uh, because he's had a vision that you're going to come and lay hands on him. So God's already set up things. He's, he's sort of set all the dominoes in motion. And then he said, now, Ananias, this is your, that's your cue, you know? I love Ananias's response because think of how think of how authentic this is. God knows everything. God has set up everything, and God has called Ananias and said, "Here's here's the plan." And Ananias, in beautiful authenticity, says, "Lord, I know this man Saul. I've heard about him. He's done this. He did that. He's doing that. He's did it." Does God know this? Yes. Is Ananias stupid? Does he think God doesn't know this? No. Ananias knows a little bit, and he's bringing that little bit to God who knows everything. That's a good prayer. That's a really good prayer. And I think we often don't do that. I have to be honest. Um, God will, will give us a word or give us a direction, and we might do one of many things. The best option is what Ananias did, to just 
unveil our feelings straight away because he knows what we're feeling anyway. Lord, that's difficult because X, Y, Z. Lord, I don't think I can do that because this and that. But the dialogue continues. That's what real prayer is. It's a bit like Mary's prayer, you know, when the angel comes and he says, you're going to conceive a child. Now, that makes zero sense. It's not possible. And she tells him that. She says, how can this be? That's a good prayer. That's a very good prayer. It's similar but utterly different to the prayer of um, John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah. Remember him. This episode happens close by, side by side, so obviously the scripture's trying to tell us that's good prayer, that's not good prayer. Uh, Zechariah's in the temple, he's offering sacrifices, it's his, it's his turn to be in the Holy of Holies and he's giving the, the smoke offerings and whatnot. And this angel appears and says, your wife Elizabeth, who's in old age, she's going to bear a child. And he, he responds a little bit like Mary, but it's not really like Mary. He kind of laughs to himself and says, that, that's not possible. And so he's struck dumb. That's not a good prayer. See how one is in conversation and one's not. One is me thinking to myself, stuck in my own little tiny universe of possibilities. And one is me unveiling my finiteness and my ignorance to the Heavenly Father, who says, yes, I know that. Good observation. This is still the plan. Trust me. And trust yourself to me. That's good prayer. Um, I would just encourage us to move into that space if there's something that, that we can notice in our lives. God calls us all the time to all sorts of things. It's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to sort of apprehend it, to understand it. And then it's another thing to, to kind of tell God how silly it is, <laughs> which, is which is a legitimate thing to do um, if it's real prayer, if we're still speaking with him. I leave that with us as a kind of renewal of our prayer journeys, you know. I often say one of the reasons we, we can't... Uh, one of the reasons we, we, we shy away from bringing our anger to God or our jealousy or our envy or all those kind of dark emotions is because we know he won't collude with us. You know, sometimes when I'm really riled up, it's, it's kind of satisfying to go and knock with my little friends and say, oh, yeah, this person did that and they made me feel this way. And really, they're not solving my problem. They're just colluding with me. They're saying, yeah, you're right. You should be offended. You should be upset. God doesn't do that. If we take our problems to him, he says... Good observation, but there's more. And, and he sort of uh, lifts us out of our little silly spiral. That's the first thing. The second thing is with regard to the Gospels. Because if you've been looking at the arc that's been drawn this past week, it's John chapter 6, dense chapter of Jesus, essentially saying, I'm the bread of life. Unless you eat me, you die. That's a pretty simple message. But we've been hearing about it at length for since... Friday, I'm pretty sure it was. If not for Anzac Day and the Feast of St. Mark, we'd be hearing about it every day. It would almost bore us. It's, it's that dense. What does this tell us about our conversation, not with God, but with the world? People are slow to hear. We ourselves are slow to hear. Therefore, it's not vain to reiterate again and again and again, not like a clanging gong, not stupidly, not like a broken record, but re-articulating re the truth that we've tasted and that we know. In a strange sense, I think you could ask any random person out there, what's the Christian message? Oh, Jesus died and rose for our sins, something like that. They can say it, but they haven't really got it, have they? And maybe we haven't either. We need to re-articulate it again and again and again. 
to understand just how vibrant and radical and, and transformative this message is. The world needs to know it. And as missionaries here, all of us, alongside Peter Chanel and all those who have gone before us, we must take this message again and again, tirelessly, uh, vibrantly, dynamically, to a world that longs to hear and actually hear, to see and actually see the goodness of God in their midst.